0: Welcome to Business Unmuted, thanks to our sponsor Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers, representing some of the world's best manufacturers of cars, vans and motorcycles. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. Well, today uh, we're going to be uh, having a really lively Business Unmuted with a lot of guests. I'm Graham Robb and I started Recognition PR nearly 35 years ago. We have 75 clients in lots of different sectors, with turnover of approximately 6 billion, who employ around 30,000 staff so we're at the front line of business and perfectly placed uh, to discuss the economic climate. In the studio we have David Land. Now David is director of the uh, Business Consultancy for Manufacturers Drive to Business but he's also the foundation of uh, the founder of the Northeast STEM Foundation. We also have Marion Marsland uh, who's the Chief Operating Officer of the Thermal Insulation Contractors Association and down the line we have Stephen Massey, Operations Manager at Soulhawk Limited which operates around 10 care homes in Newcastle and Gateshead area. Welcome everyone. Uh, First of all let's just look at the issue of fuel because uh, yesterday the Competition and Markets Authority uh, issued a report about fuel prices in Britain uh, saying it was the most volatile year for fuel pricing since reliable records began and they talked about the uh, rocket and feather effect where Pump prices surged 50 pence a litre but actually the wholesale uh, price fell quite a lot Uh, and uh, the wholesale price uh, going uh, up and then down again was not echoed by the fuel price at the the, the, uh, pump which went up. But then gently went down so rock it up and feather down um so the the pump prices went up by 50 pence a liter from January to July uh but fell by 31 pence uh, a liter for petrol and 14 pence a liter for joule, uh, for for diesel but it, it, if you look at the wholesale price the percentage fall was greater well if we look at energy generally first um Fuel is important, and that's an indicator, the the oil price, but generally how is your business coping? Marion, you're training lots of people at the Thermal uh, Insulation Contrast Association. How is fuel for you in your workshops?
1: Um, Fuel's a big issue for us. Obviously, we've got a huge workshop. It's a very difficult space to heat. Um, But I guess as a business, we're in a really luxury position in that... um, you know as a trade body part of our job is to pilot schemes and show our members way forward. we With thermal insulation we're about sustainability so we're rapidly um, speeding up our program of uh, improving our own energy efficiency, um, drive to electric cars and, and away from the pump, um, move away from gas and move to renewable energy. Um, another £75,000 investment in solar panels in addition to Seventy, eighty thousand pounds pounds investment last year. So I think we feel that um, there's not really going to be any way back from this. It may peak and fall, but it's really, the, sh- the trajectory is really only going one way.
0: Yeah, um, I suppose it is in, personally, uh, gas and electricity, uh, it feels that way. But uh, there is now evidence from the competition markets, the oil, oil price went up and it came down, but the gentle decline at the petrol pumps affects us all, and maybe something
2: should be done. But do you not think, Graham, that what it is, it's the first time for a lot of years where we've had the cap taken off? You know, I come from an automotive background and price down, price down is there. Mm. Price up is a hard thing to negotiate and what happened through the pandemic and and into this year all of a sudden that ceiling's gone off so opportunists take in so those prices go up unnecessarily sometimes and you can understand why they're not coming down are they trying to put money back in their business so they can reinvest or are they just capitalizing on a short-term opportunity
0: and in America they use the phrase gouging uh, that's a, the phrase yeah, yeah. price gouging yeah. and, uh, if there's a hurricane for instance in Florida and the petrol prices go up because of it they, they the retailers <clears throat> are accused of price gouging but things can be done to stop it uh, legislation is there to stop artificial increases in in price now we don't necessarily want a return to solid prices Commission like there was in the 1970s but does, is there around our group of guests any appetite for some kind of rules uh-huh. a system on this
2: I think there is, because especially when you drive down the high street, not the high street, but if, when you drive around and you're past the fuel stations, why can one sell their petrol at 146 and another one sells it at 159? There should be some levelling out on that. I think it, for everyone in the UK, they want to see some level of uniformity that if it goes up, I get it. But if it comes down, I also want it to see it come down in the same level. So I think there should be some rules. But I think everyone's accepting now that they'll never get back to where they were. And people are now starting to take more of their own initiative. What can they do to be self-sufficient? Solar panels. We've got a couple of manufacturing companies Smallish, but now investing in solar panels. One putting 700 panels Mm -hmm. on the top of their roof because they can become 20 or 30 percent efficient and not be dependent upon.
0: We'll come to Stephen in a minute, but Marion, you mentioned solar panels, what you're doing in your workshops to try and make them energy efficient. Is it actually paying off yet? Are you able to see it in the amount of energy consumed?
1: Absolutely, we can see it when we get the checks back. You know, some of our panels were were in the very early stages with, Mm. you know, a a trade-in. I have to say we spent £20,000 this time with Northern Grid to uh, improve the infrastructure so that we can actually generate the power back into the system, yeah. which was a, was a bit of a blow. But um, you know, just going back to your point, Graham, on legislation, it's interesting, isn't it, as business people and working in a, you know, a capitalist environment, yeah. that we're talking about the implication of legislation because we're not happy with prices. I'm yeah wear- i'm very wary of and that. you're right
0: this is the program to say that business are muted and you're right and very i I, so I i'm sort of being devil's advocate i'm wary of it as well although at home i have solar panels on my roof and i noticed that the price of uh, electricity has gone up but feed-in tariff for me to sell the electricity hasn't yeah. so it, it, you, they work it on all, all ways let's go to Stephen you run care homes 10 care homes my goodness energy must be a really big headache for you
3: well it, it is it is you know we, we actually have very little opportunity to control yes we can walk around turn lights off and things like that but you know we have to heat them 24 7 and that's 365 days of the year we have to uh, lights are on and you know the, the residents we have need the, the ability to do that my frustration is now now with all these price changes the lack of flexibility, the lack of flexibility to move around, to select, to choose. You know, you've got to try and tie yourself into a, into a, uh, uh, something right now to try and keep the prices down, and uh, it's very very difficult to do that. We don't have that flexibility that we used to have. Now, the go- it's, the it's government
0: a you did introduce the energy price cap uh, for all all businesses um, until April, and when it introduced that it did say that there are certain types of businesses and they mentioned nursery schools they mentioned nursing homes vulnerable businesses uh, where you're not operating at high margins but the people who are using your buildings are vulnerable by children older people um, and therefore they may look at that price cap being extended Um, now were you in a position where that would make a difference or did you negotiate very good terms on your long-term tariffs
3: we weren't in the position. We were, were not being actually involved in that. There's not been nobody's come to us and say, right, what do you need? What can we do to help? What what effect does this have? Uh, I'm slightly different in so much that the other half of the business are hotels, mm-hmm. so we've we've had some flexibility in securing deals because yeah. of the hotel part of the business. Uh, and but from a care home perspective, um, like most of the announcements the government's have made we don't get told we don't we don't get advised they're not keeping us up to date and when they do it's usually after the event Uh, and uh, so you know it would be good to be involved it would be good to say what can we do to help and and some sort of uh, of, uh, price fixing would absolutely help
0: okay and what is uh, what measures are you taking to save energy i, I mean you've talked about turning lights off and so on but have you installed other alternative uh, forms solar panels or have you uh...
3: yes we are doing that we are actively installing solar panels uh into a few of the homes uh in newcastle and gateshead um some already had them look, look luckily but we're actively doing that now um, because we think we've got no option uh we have invested in the fleets for myself and that we have electric cars but that's for those the guys that are on the road but mm. uh, but we are in, we are installing them wherever we can, but most of our buildings are old and some don't lend themselves too easily yeah. to have these things um, fixed onto them and fit in, in the right sort of way. But we, we are doing that.
0: Uh, I, my own building, my office building has a flat roof. So it's something I'm actively looking at at the moment. But I, I said to you, I did solar panels at home, um, but I'm at work when the sun is out so i don't use the electricity bit daft uh so i can program maybe the washing machine to go on when when the solar's but what i'm now doing is investing in batteries and has that has anyone looked at battery technology
1: ba- battery is key it's still not there yet from a commercial it's only it's only on the outside edges for domestic use Mm. it's certainly not there for for commercial but it's interesting that um you know in terms of the building we're talking about solar panels actually the the biggest expanse of energy is through the walls Mm. and we don't have people we don't have enough skilled people to retrofit we're talking about our net zero policy for energy efficiency in buildings what we need to understand is 80 percent of the buildings that need to be zero energy efficient by 2050 are already built. Yeah, it is. So it's it's it. how we actually, how do we address the existing mm. building stock? It's not about new buildings. Uh, uh, um, and
0: Sometimes the buildings are not old. Uh, we're sitting in our studio here in a building that was built in 2006. Uh, when I had it audited, the the roof the heat goes out through the roof because it doesn't it isn't built to domestic standards and I don't know if you obviously in your sector you must come across this all the time
1: well we're the thermal insulation contractors and I can tell you I work in the coldest building right um, because you know um, it's a building we've taken over Um, we had very little input into its build Um, but I would say it's a building that needs significant retrofitting if it's going to have any chance of achieving net zero. And actually, the energy um, that we're producing from the panels is a fraction of what mm. we really need to do.
0: Okay, and uh, just I'm oh, sorry, David, you're going to give it, Stephen. I'm going to ask you about your buildings. You said just, uh, there's a mixture in your uh, portfolio, uh, but of course, you're a commercial business, and Tika looks after commercial businesses, doesn't it?
1: Well, our members will yeah, work on yeah,
0: commercial yeah. buildings. Um, is it is is the is Insulation—something that you've actively looked at in your homes?
3: Yes, well, we have, and uh, we we have double glazing as you expect. We have done insulation. Uh, we are we are doing that. We are reviewing that. We've gone around changing the light bulbs over, for instance, over to LEDs mm. and uh, mm. things like that. And when we have to replace things, we look at the most uh, efficient systems that we can put in. And we're uh, so we are doing that, but insulation it does form part of any upgrades that we do.
2: All right, and David, your point on yeah, this? Yeah, the point I was going to try and link what we talked about at the beginning, I think it's inter- there's a lot of people that don't know really what to go by. What should I do to my building? It's hard to get independent advice because you've got a lot of people who are capitalizing on this is in vogue so I can charge what I want and it's in short demand. I've just put solar panels on my home with batteries and inverters Mm. and I could double the batteries up so I'm now quite today was a nice day because I charged my battery up Mm. but then I'll store it and I can use it overnight or I can use it the following day and it's getting that advice I think that's important
0: if you've got any takeaways from this program I was uh, privileged to chair the make UK northern conference last week and there was an expert on battery technology and the pricing of batteries is basically one thousand pound a kilowatt so if you've got a five kilowatt battery in your house it should cost around five grand uh, and if you've got a, 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 a killer, a, a big battery, a commercial battery, you could be talking about a million quid in a in a big steel container. So that's, that's the kind of price at the moment. Let's see if that comes down. Let's change the subject now. The, the, it's been called the winter of discontent. There are a few people around this uh, conversation who remember the real winter of discontent, but there's, there's a slide we'll put on showing the number of strikes uh, that there are throughout December. Now, these are mostly public sector strikes, uh, postal workers, uh, there's some teachers, there's uh, rail workers, ambulance staff, nurses, uh, taking action uh, over December. Quite disruptive. Um, now... This is a business programme and I give my opinion on this as uh, someone in business watching the media and seeing this matter being discussed there's a lot of attention to who's on strike and why and the the strikers get interviewed and the unions get interviewed and then the effects on the public are discussed but the management haven't really put their case very well at all in public I mean I couldn't really enunciate properly what the management case is uh, for their offer to the rail workers Um, and I consider myself relatively well-informed. I do know it's roughly 8% split over a couple of years with a part of it backdated. Um, Or or I know that the nurses want 19% and the Prime Minister said that's unaffordable. But the the case, the other side of the argument isn't being ventilated much, is it, David?
2: No, it's not at all, and I think... For me it's a little bit about choice you know it, it, you talk about running your business you sit with your balance sheet you see where your cash is you make a decision what you invest in and what you don't but i think at the minute everyone expects everything and whether it's the the nurses whether it's the real workers some of them are on pretty good wages you know and the fact that they're asking for more i think is unrealistic yeah. if they were given a series of choices what would you choose and which would you compromise Mm. on but I fully agree there is only one side of the conversation that's on the TV not both and And it's been a lot of
0: conversation about people's wages being eroded or the real terms wage cut or how they are uh, lining up their wages against other people in the public sector not necessarily in the private sector it used to be called demarcation when it was Mm. in old industrial years Um, but it strikes me that there are a couple of things that Uh, occur that need to be mentioned maybe in public the first is that uh, some of these uh strikers nurses particularly who one has a lot of sympathy for the difficult job they do but they do have a pay review body and a pay review body that was they were introduced by the thatcher government in 1980 for the police and the army because the police and the army couldn't strike and then they were extended to doctors and uh, nhs staff professional staff and there was a sort of not an official, but there was an understanding that you have a pay review body. You can't, you shouldn't strike because there's a, you know, people who work in our businesses don't have a pay review body. We pay them what we can afford, and that hasn't really been mentioned. What do you think, Stephen?
3: Well, the pay review body was mentioned in so much that they don't. They don't follow it. They don't. They don't trust them because they they've not been changed since we first set up. So the guidance that they're working to isn't sufficient. Uh, My only thought is that yeah, they've got these bodies. These bodies should be making the right recommendations. Um, And it look it depends on the data they look at and when they look at the data they look at. And I I think that the pay review bodies are influenced by government. No matter what they say, they are influenced by government and what's going on locally. Uh, But they should. If they're sitting there, and they, oh, every government so far has followed and, and, and followed the recommendations, and that's the way it should be. But the question around is, is the recommendations being right? Has it actually reflected what 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 they've been said, what they looked at? No. But personally, I think that there is an argument for for a lot of these, and certainly for the nurses for, to look at their pay but that's on the public sector. You What they've got to remember in my business is I've got nurses, I've got these care staff, and, you know, I, well, I'd love to give my staff a 90% pay rise, but I know it's unrealistic. And, and you're right, we've got to get the management argument, the counter-argument to this. At least Paying can... conditions for the NHS, for the public sectors, are by way far better than anything mm-hmm. I can provide my staff
0: and In, it'd be impossible it be. for you to give the holiday and the pension entitlement Absolutely. that you get out of an Absolutely. NHS pension. Yeah. Um and
3: that's why I lose staff to the NHS because of the, the conditions terms and conditions they get. But, um so you know, it, it's it's and that's a big thing for me at the moment. My staff are Are leaving to join the NHS because of terms and conditions
0: and that's a very interesting point because you see the uh, the arguments on the television and radio from nurses and they're saying the nurses are leaving the NHS but your evidence is that that isn't the case now it's not because I mean everyone around this table would would want to say we like what the nurses do and respect the nurses Um, if we can just take that emotion out and look at how we can maintain the number of nurses jobs
3: um, absolutely, David, absolutely. David, we, we need them let's we move. need them and we are short of them
2: David you would but wouldn't you think in 2022 2023 that we've got the capacity to sit round and resolve this in an amicable way
0: which brings Shoot. me to ACAS
2: do you remember ACAS? I remember it and I've used it.
0: You've used it? Right. Tell me tell me your experience of ACAS because it seems to me ACAS, which we as taxpayers fund ACAS, remind our viewers what, what ACAS is. I well, had to explain it to some people in my office who were in their 30s.
2: I mean, the arbitration and conciliation service, what it was was when you were miles apart, if, if, if the expectation, we probably sat there with the nurses at 19% mm. versus what might be affordable 4. at 3 7, or 4%, 7, 5, percent, whatever. Yeah. Whatever the two numbers are, you're miles apart. That's not negotiable rate. And then there is a complete indifference is that one side won't listen to the other. You get someone with industrial experience or or experience in in business and they talk to either side independently and try and bridge a way through to get to a solution which is where we should be
0: and what is your experience of using ACAS the service itself because it's free as I understand it was, yeah. it's free did you have a good experience of using ACAS? I,
2: we did, well, I only used it once if for any real significance but no it was it was positive it was it was an arbitrator somebody yeah. that would just come and talk to both sides differently and look you're here you're there and you got and, the balance and, and it, of in,
0: in the case of when you did use it we, only go, we don't need the detail of it but were you able to come out with a resolution because resol- of using ACAS?
2: we resolved and and we probably resolved inside a week and a half to two months. Right. You
0: see, it strikes me. I mean, I'm a I'm a child of the 70s. I remember the winter of discontent, and it, this is not the winter of discontent. There's no secondary picketing. It's the private sector isn't affected because there's a realistic approach to the private sector. There's the stuff in the shops. It isn't the winter of discontent. But in the 70s, one of the good things that the Callaghan government did was ACAS, and Jim Callaghan himself said you shouldn't strike while there are negotiations underway. And if people are at ACAS, he used to say, mm-hmm. as a Labour Prime Minister, you mustn't strike while you're negotiating. Marion,
1: well, I think you've got a perfect storm, haven't you? You know, we're, we're talking about negotiation process where it's just a simple dispute over pay, and whether that's public sector, the nurses, the the railway workers, um, private sector, you there are other things that are going on in the background that are fueling this, uh, and, and actually. Um, you know, I, I see this akin to, to where we were a few years ago. This is linked to, in my own view, I think there's a broader political picture here, where there is leverage of a group of workers, there is the perfect storm to utilise that leverage. It's not just simply a question of, I've asked for 10% and you're offering me 2 We're being fed all the issue of, you mm. know, the, this whole this terminology and this narrative of the cost of living crisis. In my own sector, um, we've had... Uh, unofficial industrial disputes um, on local TV with banners out there talking about the cost of living crisis and many of these workers will be be earning double if not triple what a nurse would be earning so it's a it's a much more complicated picture than we simply can't reach an agreement because there are so many other things that are happening behind the scenes and every industry's got slightly different baggage attached to it I think.
2: Go on David. I was going to say
1: I think the point you
2: made there is to reach an agreement at the minute when I watch um, CTV I don't think there is a as it was one side of that argument that wants or even both wants to reach an agreement you know the real unions are not taking things to their members they're not allowing that vote to take place it's there's a political bias in all right, there all
0: right. well let's just put this one last thing and we'll move on to the another sub- subject the last thing the Sunak government Said today, in Prime Minister's questions, he's going to bring law to force here. Um, the law that he's likely to bring to force was in the Conservative manifesto, which is minimum thresholds of service when you're on strike. I mean, I I don't know what the minimum thresholds would be, but say for argument's sake, 20% of the trains should run, or uh, 50% the ambulances should be available. Whatever the mm. threshold is appropriate. Now, do you think? that that will a. be something the public will warm to and b. does have fairness and equity attached to it. Uh, Stephen first.
3: Well, I think actually it's a sledgehammer to crack a nut. I don't think it's the right option I think to put uh, legislation in place to do with something like this actually works against what they're actually aiming to do. I don't think it's the right thing and I, I think your comment earlier on about the private sector being be more realistic because it have to, has to be. Uh, I think to, to do this it will actually work exactly the opposite way that we
2: want it to do uh, and I think legislation is too much. Okay uh, David? Yeah. Um, interesting challenge I think for me I don't think you should have a percentage, I would be no strike, you should, they shouldn't be allowed full stop
0: or uh, if, if uh, on, uh, while they're negotiating
2: while they're negotiating but I think go back to the point I made before you've got to find a way of what is the difference mm. how do we resolve it and if you bring cash back or in a different yeah. form let's resolve the problem yeah, so you have a
0: mechanism that justifies no strike you don't Absolutely. say no strike you don't withdraw people's right to strike correct uh, uh, Marion.
1: I'm definitely in the middle I was on the railways yesterday my train was cancelled mm. uh, but it, it was still mayhem um, I, I think that taking away people's right, right to action it almost incites them more. I think they're somewhere in the middle. And I think if the percentage of, you know, there has to be a percentage coverage, if it's, in a, pro- if it's a proportionate percentage, mm. then I think the public could be brought in favour of that. And certainly with trains and rail strikes, if you're one of those unfortunate people that desperately need to train on Christmas Eve to come back and see your mum, he would really welcome a minimum service.
0: Well, my daughter's one of those coming back to see her dad. She's flying in from America the day before, and we need to get her up to we'll rent her a car in the end. Um, may I, may I just, just add something there? Because yes, of course.
3: What, uh, being the next military man, which I am, uh, my frustration in all of this is this constant referral referring going back to get the military in to run this and the military to run that. And the vast majority of these military persons going in there to do it.
0: Yes. Get paid less
3: than the people that are actually striking. That's they're a not on very good point, Stephen. The people, people there, and it's a real frustration that people that are in critical industries, critical industries, um, are are striking. And and you know, it's all right saying they're not they're, they're going on strike, but there'll be enough ambulances for this and enough for that. They are critical industries to, to 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 us, and I agree that actually that there are times when strike is not the right thing to do.
0: I do get um, a sense that from this group here, the opinion slightly changed I noticed some polling on the rail strike when the Christmas Eve rail strike was announced suddenly it went to 51% against where the 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 strikers were so I I think there's a bit of a moving feast here (laughs) Uh, the last question uh, to you all Uh, the government uh, a conservative government that labeled itself pro-business and I know I everyone who watches this knows that I was supportive of that government and helped Rishi's campaign but on Monday they announced a statutory right to request flexible working now let's not over overheat it because it doesn't mean you have to give a flexible working but uh, the statute will be that any worker from day one that they work from you is allowed to request flexible working which doesn't just involve working from home it could be how their holidays are arranged working hours childcare, so on now it sounds nice and it sounds very cuddly but I, I put, i'm going to look to you per, first stephen you're running a nursing home group i should imagine rostering staff is one of the headaches of management
3: it absolutely is. And you know we are we are legally obliged to have a certain number of of staff on duty at any one time, uh, and quite rightly so. um so and uh, so there are certain roles where flexible working, just cannot happen uh, and as much as we want it to do uh, it, it just cannot happen yes we can be flexible on the days they work and we can be flexible on how they book their holidays but it has to be realistic about what the expectation of flexible working is when a when a staff member h- hears about flexible working they automatically think they can ask for what they want and they'll get it mm. you, you, you we need an example some some time ago about school kids you know most of my staff have children so they'd like to take them to school and i like to pick them up but that means that we've got people Mm. that start before that and and there are people after that. So flexible working isn't the answer.
0: I know the minister responsible, is a plain speaking Yorkshireman, Kevin Hollingrake, and he went in the paper and said, it's a no brainer. Well, it didn't sound to me that it was a no brainer, David.
2: I think there's two sides of it for me from a manufacturing point of view, you can't do it you know everyone is demanding their product if they click on their iPad tonight they want it delivering tomorrow Mm -hmm. morning that means people have to be at work 24-7 so it doesn't work from a manufacturing industry I came from automotive and you were you know you were timetabled to a 20 minute slot of when your product was either collected or you delivered so it's regimented you can't have flexibility and if you've got an organisation where you've got people who can't be flexible and then another series that are it's difficult to balance But the compromise that I think we've got in there is I chair the UTC, which is slightly different. It works a longer-
0: University Technical College.
2: University Technical College, yeah. It works a slightly longer day, 31 hours rather than 20, 25. And we've got parents who can drop their children off- A longer off
0: week, not longer day.
2: A d- sorry, did I say a day? Yeah, a
0: week. <laughs> I think that's pretty good productivity. Yeah. I think we'll all applaud that. A 31 hour day, well
2: done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's vote for that. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's it's good that, that, that they've got that. People can drop them off on work. So that flexibility can work but I think one size doesn't fit all it can't be one or the other but it's hard how do you make the compromise when part of your workforce can't be flexible and other ones can it's, it's a hard balance to make it's got to be can't be just you have to have it, it's got to be something that's either got to be negotiated, earned, or worked for.
0: All right, Marion, you get last
2: word.
1: Well, for, first of all, you know, it's changed in that uh, when you can request it, but it's not changed from the employer in that you have to give it. And the that's second right. thing I would say is we're all sat here today and we've all got chronic staff shortages and we're dealing with generation Z. Yeah. You know, grandparents put the roof over your head, parents gave you a standard of living and young people today want choice. And yep. if we're going to give competitive advantage within our businesses and we turn our back on flexible working don't be surprised when it's even harder to compete in an employment market
0: marion measured answer thank you very much that's it next week is the last business unmuted of 2022 we're going to have a few weeks off for
1: christmas do join us then thank you very much